last, last week we, we began a, a new series looking at the, the hard time many people have with their mental stability. I remember a young child was asked to write a poem once in a class, everybody to submit a poem. And one girl brought in this poem and one of the lines in the poem said this. She was talking about her mind. And one of the lines in the poem said this. I have a little kingdom, her mind. I have a little kingdom where thoughts and feelings dwell and very hard I find the task of governing it well. Amen? (laughs) We have a little kingdom between our ears here and very hard we can find the task of governing it well, policing it well, looking after it well. This series, mini-series, is called Holistic Health and what I want to do for myself and for you and for everybody else, but primarily it's come out of my own mental stresses, is develop my own ability to be holistic in my attitude and my strength. Last Sunday night, I was saying with you, with the problems I'm currently encountering, I thought I would be spiritually strong enough to deal with them. And I was right. I am spiritually strong enough. I'm just not mentally strong enough. And I thought the one would be okay, but actually it's not okay. And for the first time in my life, I I really saw so clearly how Christ is interested in my spiritual strength. And he's also interested in my mental strength. And if I don't accept that, sooner or later that can take me out. Right? That can bring me down. So I guess I had an oversimplistic approach to who I am. I had an oversimplistic approach to my makeup as a, as a being, as this creature God has made me. First slide, please. I am a tripartite being. Three parts, body, soul. Next one, please. Body, soul, and spirit. And th- you can put this a thousand ways. I've seen it put so many ways. You are a spirit. That's the essential you. You are a spirit being. If you've ever, I've done many funerals, and if you've ever looked at a corpse, you'll know that you're a spirit. Because the life, it's not there. The thing that is life is gone. That's why we say they're dead. It's a good, harrowing experience to see and be near a dead body. Because you know then that surely it is true That human beings are essentially spirit. You are a spirit. Whether you're born again or not, you're still a spirit. It's just that born again people have a spirit that's alive to God. Those who are not saved, their spirit is there, but it's dead unto God and alive to the world. You are a spirit. You have a soul, which we will refer to as our mind, our will, and our emotions. And you live in a body. You may try all you want, but you cannot change this structure in this life. You've got it until the day you die, right? It's not going to be altered. It ain't going to change. So we've got to get used to it, and we've got to try and make the best of all three of these departments within me. Next slide, please. So what's my body? My body is simply my physical self. What's my soul? My, my, my mind, my will, and my emotions. What is my spirit? Well, my spirit is not my mind. My spirit is not my mind. 
Scripture talks about these two things very distinctly, very separately. We're given lots of guidance in how to walk in the Spirit. Separately, we're also told how to renew our mind, how to transform our mind. My spirit is not my mind. I've got a mind and a spirit, and Scripture separates them, to, uh, both of them. What is my spirit then? Well, the spirit is the part of me that is conscious of God, God aware. The spirit is the part of me where I hear his voice. He speaks to me in my spirit, not the mind. Your spirit. My spirit, uh, my, my, my spirit is my conscience, even though it's broken, and it is. Paul says my, my conscience is faulty, and it is. But nonetheless, it still functions to a degree. That's what my spirit is. And my mind is my rational self, my logical self, the part of me that reasons things out from a human perspective, in brackets at the end. Your mind wars against your spirit, and your spirit wars against your mind. So, I see someone in a wheelchair in the coffee shop, and my spirit speaks to me. The spirit speaks to me in my spirit and says, go and pray for them. But my mind objects. (laughs) They will reject you. Don't do it. And my spirit says, no, 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 go do it. And my mind says, don't do it. You'll just get embarrassed. You don't have the faith. It's not going to work. These two things, the mind and the spirit, Scripture says they fight each other. They war against one another all day long. It's something that ain't going to change. It's something we have to learn to live with, to deal with, and indeed to conquer. Okay? The sooner we get it, the easier Life becomes in some senses, in some ways. I want to do a a little bit of an introduction this morning. I I mentioned last week I broke my arm and I learned a lot through that. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hard way to learn. But if people come to church, if someone has a broken arm and they come to church, we have no problem praying for them. And let's say they don't get healed. If someone comes to church with a broken arm and we pray and they don't get healed, what do we say to them to do? Go to the hospital, right? Go and get a doctor and the doctor will look after you. But if someone comes with a broken mind, if someone comes and says, I'm hearing voices, I've got depression, I'm bipolar, we pray for them and if they don't get healed, we walk away. (laughs) You know, um, not my problem anymore, I prayed for you, it must be your problem. We can be so dismissive about anything that's mental. It is definitely stigmatized. Amen? Amen. It carries a stigma in our community. That's one thing. May God forgive us if it carries a stigma in the church. It should never have that in this house or any of God's houses. It should be a place where people with any illness, any disposition, should be able to come and find relief. And whatever we need to do to provide that relief we should do. Another thing, for example, if someone comes and they've broken their arm and they're in agony, they could cry. They could just start to cry. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in so much pain. Like Pastor Fred was crying in here when he hurt his back, if you remember. He was in tears. He was crying his eyes out in here uh, because there was so much pain. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We would sit with someone who's in physical pain and Fred didn't mind. He got over it. It was sciatica which is very painful. 
But someone who has a mental condition of any sort, remember the spectrum? They could have just maybe depression or something, you know, considered the minor end, all the way through to something like schizophrenia. If someone has that, and let's say they've never told anybody, right? So they're sitting on a mental problem, and they come up to you, and they're desperate to tell you. They want to talk to you. And they're sitting there, and eventually they say, I've got certain mental things I'm struggling with. Do you know the next thing they do? They start to cry. What's the next two words once they start to cry? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nobody with a broken arm who cries is going to say, I'm sorry. No one with a broken leg who's crying is going to say, I'm sorry. But for some reason, when it's a mental issue, there's some form of embarrassment, there's some form of distance, there's some stigma that we felt that we should have kept this thing under wraps. We shouldn't let people know our vulnerabilities. And we want to hide it. And then we apologize when we have to go public. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. One of the most common questions I get asked is people with mental illnesses, are they, is, it, is it a demon, is it spiritual, or is it mental? Well, I gave a little explanation last Sunday night about that. Here I am standing here in this room. If there was a fly in this room, the fly wouldn't bother me. It wouldn't come near me because I've got nothing that it wants. But if I cut myself and blood starts to flow, the fly comes straight for me. Because it will sense the blood and it will go for that blood. So it is with someone who has an emotional scar in their mind. Someone who has a wound from the past. Until that wound is there, really, you know, the demons can stand back. The bad spirits can leave you alone. But once there's a cut, once there's a mental wound, it can be very attractive as an entry point for spirits and demons of all sorts. Are you with me? And so that's why it's important when I get some form of mental stress or strain, when my mind is beginning to become, I just know it's not right, I've got to realize that I am now vulnerable. I'm now someone who can be really a target in a greater way than I previously was. And I need to pay attention to that, deal with it, and not be hyper-spiritual. And really, hyper-spirituality is the enemy of growth. When we think everything is the spirit and there is no mind. No, Scripture separates these two things very clearly. And once someone gets into a bad spirit, that's a much more difficult thing to deal with often. It can be hard to get them back. There was a demoniac in Dublin when I lived there. He was famous. I'm going to call him Charlie. It's not his real name. I just don't want to get sued. So, Charlie was absolutely crazy and dangerous. We had nine windows, I remember, down this gable wall of our church. He broke every window. He took a, a, a mic stand and he put one of our, ha, uh, our pastors in emergency. He had his arm bandaged up. He whacked him. He was fighting him with the thing. He threatened to kill me, to kill my wife, and to kill Sean, one of our elders. And I had him arrested. The police said to me, if you press charges, we will kick his door in at 7 o'clock in the morning with guns. That's what will happen. Do you want to press charge? I said, yeah, I do. Because this guy's not your ordinary guy. This guy's done a lot of damage in this. He's a dangerous guy. Go ahead and arrest him. And they did. And he got, I don't know, two or three months in prison or whatever for uh, threatening to kill us. 
I'm not talking about any pushover. He was a very serious piece of kit, this guy. Very strong, very demonstrative, scary. I've got a soft spot for the mentally <laughs> So I prayed a crazy prayer. I knew he was out in the city. His, his sister was my worship leader. His parents were sitting in my front row every Sunday. And I prayed this crazy prayer. I said, look at that guy. He's out there. And because his, his, his illness is mental, nobody wants him in their church. There's nothing but problems. I said, God, is there any chance that you would give me the ability to set him free? Give him another chance. Would you send that crazy guy here? He turned up at a singles event that we did. And I prayed for him. And he was free. <laughs> he was set free. It was astonishing. I tell you, talk about the gossip factor. That spread around Dublin like wildfire. Did you hear about Charlie? Hey, Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Did you hear about Charlie? Um, so, Charlie... <laughs> came in and sat, he sat in my front row actually, I think for safety. He felt too insecure at the back. He thought he might run out again. And the first two or three months, worship song after worship, he would just break down. When he thought of what he did, when he thought of all his behavior, he was totally a broken, meek, gentle man. Back into sanity again. Hallelujah. Unfortunately, You see, he had started by being rebellious. He didn't have a bad spirit. He started by being rebellious. His rebellion, coming from his past, which was problematic, led to definitely a spirit getting a hold of him and drove him absolutely crazy. The guy covered himself in his own feces in the prison cell. He thought he was a hunger striker. Another time he was standing in a box in the middle of Dublin claiming to be the reincarnation of Eamon de Valera, the Prime Minister in times gone by. He was a complete, nutter, crazy, crazy, crazy guy. But one day I was building a platform in our church and he was at the back, Charlie, and I heard him speaking. Now he had not gossiped about churches because that was one of his problems. He had not done that for months and months and months. But the bad Charlie was talking again. Now listen to this. Listen very carefully. Every time Charlie talked... My spirit used to get in a knot because it was a demon you're listening to. My spirit used to twist. And I'd heard him over many years talking like that and bad, and my spirit would twist. But I drove that spirit out of him. And this day I heard him talking, but my spirit didn't twist. Why? Because it wasn't a demon. He was speaking from his mind. If someone comes and lives in your house for a few years, they might have some bad habits. And you might pick up bad habits from that person. Correct? And when a demon comes and lives in someone like that, it begins to infiltrate the mind and the person without knowing it carries over mental habits from those days. And I immediately, when I heard him speak, I thought, now that is mental, not spiritual. And I took him out for a cup of coffee and I sat down and I said, You were free once and you rebelled against your leaders. That's a dangerous thing to do. You got wounded and you've been wounded because of your history. And you became vulnerable. And a spirit got you, man. You know that. The whole city knows that. But you were set free. And today, what you're doing is you're dabbling in an old mental habit. 
You've picked up a bad habit from that spirit, and your speech, if you're not careful, is going to reinvite that spirit. Are you with me? He didn't agree with me. He was quite proud. And he said, no, 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 I'm just telling you. No, you're not. You're on dangerous turf here, man. It's not a good end, I'm afraid. The spirit did re-enter him, and he ended up worse than ever. And today, if you met him, you would consider him to be just a crazy, insane man. And it's a sad story. But it does show the difference between you know, your mind and your spirit and how we must police both of them. We must care for both of them. We must understand both of them as Scripture presents them. 2 Corinthians tells us this. Paul says, make sure that the devil gets no stronghold or foothold or toehold in your mind. It begins with a toehold. It begins with a negative thought. It begins with something that's just a little bit wrong, a toehold. And then it becomes a foothold. And then it becomes a stronghold. 2 Corinthians, look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Paul is talking about how we must fight. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, that's words, and every pretension, that's imaginations about yourself and others, pretensions that sets itself up against the knowledge. Knowledge is in your mind. The knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, the mind, tearing down strongholds. Where's the stronghold? In the mind. So Paul is talking about all of us. He's talking about you. And he's warning us, basically, in a big picture form, that first of all, the devil tries to get a toehold. Then he gets a foothold. And if we're not careful, he develops strongholds in the mind and our behavior begins to change. As I look back over the years, I believe that we, as because we're a Pentecostal church, and I look at our churches, many of our churches are very good in terms of one aspect of spiritual warfare, but very poor on others. If I used boxing as an analogy, we're very good at throwing punches, but we can't take a punch. And if you know, you know, as they train boxers, only one part of it is throwing punches. A boxer needs to be able to stand their ground and to take a beating, right? That's what they need to be able to do. That's part of the warfare that they will encounter. And that's what we must be able to do. And looking back over my time in ministry, I think I've genuinely made a mistake on that one. I didn't teach people widely enough, even though I've done this subject many times but I still didn't see it clearly enough, really. I would also warn you to be very careful about the devil putting bad thoughts in your mind about your Savior. And I don't mean Jesus. I don't mean our Savior from our sins. I mean, when you have a difficulty, often God will send you someone to help you with the difficulty. Could be a pastor. Could be a husband. Could be a wife. And the devil is a cunning, sneaky foe. The very person who is sent to help you, you can start to have bad thoughts about. You can start to turn against them. And that is the word. You need to get smart to that. Amen. Amen. 
You need to get smart to that. You need to realize that it may not always be comfortable. You may not always like those people, people who bring you help. Often it's, it, it, it affects our pride, but you need to know who is who in your life. You need to know where those voices are coming from, and you need to respect the good ones. Stick with the good ones. I told you about my good friend, my longest-term friend in ministry, is a chap called Peter Finch. And Peter was great to me. Ten years, he gave me my first church. He was my introduction to VFC. I have a long history of blessing from Peter. And I was sitting in the front seat of a car, driving, a long journey actually, and there was this member in the back. Now, I didn't like this member. I didn't like this member at all. They were a bit sneaky and just didn't feel comfortable with them. And the member, uh, and, uh, during part of the journey, the member leaned forward to me and my close friend, leaned forward and said this, Pastor Peter, why did you tell me the secret that Pastor Mike told you? Why did you break the confidence that he told you? Talk about the devil. Absolute demon. Absolute. I, I never liked that girl. I thought she's, there's something. She married, actually, she married a Muslim. And she wears a full burqa now. Um, but I, that, that, that girl was, was, was not good. The spirit was not good. And when she said that, Peter was devastated. But I jumped to attention. And I said, please let me answer her. Please let me deal with this, not you. And he was trying to defend. You don't, you don't need to defend yourself. And I spoke straight back to her. And I said, he is my friend. And he has been my friend for a long time. And he is my leader. And he is the reason why I've proceeded in the kingdom. And he's going to stay that way. And whatever he said to you, he needed to say for my protection. If he broke some confidentiality, it's because he was watching my back. I trust him. Well, she hated that answer. She couldn't wait to get out of the car and get away from us. And Peter was still, you don't need to defend yourself, brother. We've been at this game a long time. And you haven't let me down. And I don't believe you let me down. Now, forget that voice. Forget that voice. And I'm telling you, folks, in your life, God will send you people to help you. And the devil will want to turn you against them. Normally, it's husband or wife first, and it's pastor second. That's how it is. Wherever the voice comes, wherever the help, whoever your true friends are, they're the ones that the devil would seek to cloud or confuse your perspective of them. Amen. Amen. So don't let these foolish things trap you, trick you. We need to get smarter than that and not just be like the world out there who, you know, listens to anything or follows anybody. Next slide, please. We looked at Elijah before several times. It's a wonderful teaching here in what happened to him in his life. I'll read briefly. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 to 9. I'll read this and you can see what happened to Elijah. He became very depressed. He was even suicidal. Life had got too much for him. He felt isolated. He felt alone. And 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1 to 9 tells us the story of what happened to him? Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid, fear, and he ran away. He ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, 
he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. He's suicidal. Eyes forward, just out of interest. Did God answer his prayer? (laughs) Yes. Yes, he was dead within five chapters. God answered his prayer immediately. Elijah said, I'm suicidal. And immediately after this, God says, I hear you. And he sends him Elisha to take his place. And the one, in, one in two kings are not two books, so one book. It was men that divided them. Five chapters later, what happens, Elijah? He's taken straight up to heaven. So God understood his plight. God understood his long service and long suffering and kind of intervened in this circumstance. But anyway, verse 5, Then he lay down under the brush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Look, get up and walk. Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over coals and a jar of water. He ate and he drank, and he lay down again. Then the angel came back a second time and touched him again. Get up and eat again, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, strengthened by the food. Nothing hyper-spiritual going on here. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days onto the Mount of Horeb. I love that whole happening there because he was full of fear. He was full of, remember, we've looked at these before. These are very common things in believers when you face difficult circumstances in your life. Full of fear we can be. We want to run away. We lose our faith. We can feel like giving up on life. We get a low self-esteem if we feel we're not conquering things. Depression for sure. Loss of appetite, maybe not so common. We can be cynical and have no excitement of the things of God, where no matter what's happening, it doesn't really light our fire. I am determined to get myself into a place of holistic health, where every part of me is serving God, and every part of me is available for battle. Look at me, folks. Jeanette is very lucid right now. You can ask her a question and she can answer it. If I asked her, what would you say to the people? Tell me something to tell them. She would say something like this. Health is your true wealth. Health is your true wealth. Because when you start to lose health, you got not a lot left, I'm afraid. It doesn't matter about what this life has afforded you. Health is the true wealth. And we need to keep our physical bodies, our spiritual self, our mental self. We need to keep all these things in check so that they counterplay, they interbalance one another. Don't be hyper-spiritual. Elijah was tired and God didn't say pray. He told him to get a good sleep and then to get something to eat and to drink, hydrate. And on the strength of that, he went on to battle. Have we got the video, please? I want you to look at this video a second. I hope it plays okay. Yeah, great, it's up there. Mark these off. Have a listen to this. I like this guy. It's a doctor from America. That I've gotten. Uh, we've been doing these video, videos, and uh, I get some emails, and some are very interesting. Uh, I had another inter- interesting question the other day. Uh, the question was, we, we talk a lot about physical health, 
And I think people have a pretty good understanding that if you do certain things, you'll physically be help, helped by having the body function better. I mean, there's a, I think people have a pretty good grasp on, on that fact. Now, how to do it can get a little confusing. But for some reason, people seem to divorce the physical from the mental. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit. If, if your mental functioning is broken, let's say, and there's a there's a recent book that's been written by Dr. Mark Hyman that's kind of interesting, and when I talk about some of his concepts. But if your mental function is is impaired, it's not that you need to go to a book and, and label that. Um, many mental diseases are not necessarily diseases as much as they are an observation of, of a behavior, and it really comes down to a biological cause. So if you want to fix your your mental functioning, if you want to take care of, of a depression or schizophrenia or any problem, really your, your answer is going to lie in getting your biology correct. If your body physically functions correctly, it directly affects your mental functioning and vice versa. It does go both ways. Your, your brain has a lot of effect on, on physical function. So if you get your body healthier, you can find a solution to mental problems as well. Even if it's just frustration or, or anger management or, or anything that we want to do, it, just giving yourself a, a label, whether it's depression or let's just stay away from the labels. If you're not able to control moods or emotions or things like that, we need to look back to your biology. If you're sick mentally, you are also sick physically. And it's, it's going to follow all the time. And if you just repair physical health, you will see mental health follow suit immediately. They, they, they're, they're intricately related. So we can't divorce one from the other. We can't say that we have somebody physically healthy and yet they've got mental difficulties or problems or, or whatever you want to say. They are hand in hand. It, 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 you're in the same body. And your, your mental function comes down to how, you're physic- how you function physically. So absolutely, you've got to address nutrition if you're going to address mental function. People aren't born with a deficiency of pharmaceutical drugs. Pharmaceutical drugs aren't absolutely required to deal with a mental problem. If you're depressed, it doesn't mean you're deficient in something like Prozac. What it means... Thank you. Good, huh? Nice and clear from someone who spent their life studying mental, you know, wellness and physical wellness. So that's about a 20-minute long video where he goes on to, if I could have my next slide up, the one with nutrition or God's diet plan. He goes on to address our physical intake, the food that we take, and how that directly affects our mind and our behaviors. What do you eat, by the way? Let me just ask you that. What do you eat? Scripture has a lot to say. In fact, take a look at this. Are you a Bible believer? 39 scriptures where God directly talks to you about your diet. 39 scriptures where he speaks about what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat. Now, I'm a Bible believer. And if I ignore these, I'm in trouble. Right? He talks about prawns and things like that. You know, Things that crawl along the bottom of the sea. Don't eat them because they eat dead things, right? All sorts of very, very good advice. The day that I stop listening to Scripture is a dangerous day. Do you believe me? The day that I dismiss Scripture is a dangerous day. 39 Scriptures specifically telling me that my food 
can affect, not, I'm not talking about the spirit here, my food can affect my mental stability directly, not even indirectly, absolutely directly. So he goes on to talk about nutrition, hormones, your gut function, detoxing, etc., etc. The problem I face in trying to get people to stop being hyper-spiritual about this, Elijah probably thought, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm depressed, I'll pray. We need more prayer. What did God say? Sleep and get something to eat, proper food. Right? Very practical. And you'll see in a moment where many times in Scripture that is exactly what Jesus did as well. He addressed the diet. A few weeks ago, we did a message here on change. Do you remember? Some of you have not changed. Some of you are stuck. You look exactly the same. You sit in the same seat. You're not changing. Number one of the things we needed to change, who can remember? Our beliefs and our theology. So if you're the type of person who will dismiss diet and kick it into touch, you need to change and you need to accept that God's word has a minimum of 39 direct statements to me about my diet. I need to change the broken record if my diet is wrong, because it does directly affect my mentality, which can make me less functional and effective as a Christian. I tell you what, friends, there's nothing new under the sun. Some of the Christians in Corinth were saying... If you eat this, you're not saved. If you eat that, you're not saved. If you eat this, and it was all crazy. Right? They were saying that salvation was a matter of food and drink. And the Apostle Paul addressed them very strongly. Remember? He says it's not a matter of, full of, drink, of, of, of food and drink. Everything is permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And if you eat the wrong things, and in an overreaction to this, and don't overreact when it comes to these things, folks. You hear me? Don't overreact. It's like if there's an evangelist in America that's got 10 Rolls Royces, we'll never listen to an evangelist again. You know, that's just stupid. We need to do evangelism. And it's like if some, well, I'll I'll show it to you here. What is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, what's he talking about? The body. He's talking about looking after your body. Actually, this whole chapter is about worship, by the way. This is our worship. It's not just songs. I have a body. And I need to look after it. Look, folks, just look up here a second. If I stood here with a cigarette in one hand and a can of tenants or whatever in the other, I said, let's do a Bible study. Would you stay here? You'd be out the door. So if I stand here with a McDonald's in one hand, is it? Just pause for a second, you see. Just pause for a second. So the reason I'm, remember the spectrum. Remember the spectrum of mental illness. Remember the spectrum of physical. We're very judgmental, aren't we? We never see our own sin. We never see our own problems. I wonder how God, Paul here is talking about worship. And he says, if anyone destroys this temple... God will destroy you. That's scary stuff. I have been given, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. I have been crafted by the hands of God. He gave me a fantastic body. Say amen. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Right? Now, if I trash that thing, may God forgive me. May God forgive me. Do you know, I had a car once, and I was changing countries, and I prayed about, it was a nice vehicle, squeaky clean, I kept it good, and it wasn't old, it was only like three, four years old, and I was moving, so I prayed about who to give the car to, and this particular family, who were very needy, they came to my mind, but I didn't have clarity in my spirit, and I said, Lord, confirm that, because I'm not sure. It was like a couple of days and I just happened to be given a lift to one of that family who had an ice cream in his hand, (laughs) right? He's not a child, he's a big lad. And he's getting in the back of the car and he had a backpack on. I said, you know, jump in. So he slung the backpack, but he had no way of getting in with his ice cream. Do you know what he did? He shoved the ice cream into the seat. I couldn't believe it. He shoved the ice cream so that he could get a grip to sit down in the car. There's your answer. If you're not going to look after that thing, I I praise God for that. You ask a proper question, and what God was saying to me is, these guys are not going to look after their temple. But when I stand up here and worship folks, it's not just my words, is it? Please, is it? It's everything that I am. Paul here goes on, I will worship. He says, you worship the Lord in the spirit, worship him also with your body. So there were some people here who were saying it doesn't matter what you eat. You see, some people were saying that. And Paul had to bring balance to this community. And so do we today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor is and worship. Therefore, worship God, honor God with your bodies. Right? I could go on all day here, folks. There are many, 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 many things in Scripture where, you know, not just Paul, but the prophets and indeed Jesus brings us back to our diet. Could I go forward a couple, just one slide maybe? Sorry for this slide. It looks terrible. I can't find a better way of doing it. This is McDonald's. Okay? And this will give you some idea. Since 1960, for example, that's fries. It didn't come out. That's fries. <laughs> this is your Coke and this is your burger. In the 1960s, the fries were 210 calories. Today, there's been a 250% increase. That's astonishing. Today, what? 500 calories. In the 1960s, the drink was, eight point, was 85 calories. Today, 310 calories. Right? You see? In fact, I added them up this morning. 1,200% increase. What are you eating? What are you eating? Do you think about it? Is it biblical? Am I coming along the same lines as the apostles are guiding me to come along? And indeed, as you'll see in a moment, Jesus is guiding me to come along. This is my, Jeanette went into care, what, just about a year ago. So I spent about three months thinking about what am I going to do? How am I going to cope? (laughs) How am I going to deal with this? And this is my conclusion. My conclusion is, I've made a mistake. I am going to deal with my diet, and I have. 
I'm going to deal with my health, and I have, and I'm going to retune my spirituality so that it flows out of those without me hindering them. Just go back one. Thanks. So I have completely changed my nutrition. Completely and utterly changed it. I don't like, Jeanette used to buy me blenders. I don't like blenders, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you folks, be careful of advertising and people making money on fruit drinks. You know, you go and it says pure, pure juice or whatever. No added sugar. It doesn't matter. Those things just make you fat, fat and fat again. That's all they do. They're not good for you. It doesn't matter if it says pure orange juice. The reason is you don't sit down and eat 10 oranges. And the sugar from the 10 oranges goes in your system. And then you end up, if you don't use that energy, it goes straight to fat. You have to burn the sugar you take in if you take it in. So blenders are actually, they were never any good and I didn't like them. Fruit drinks from your supermarkets, you're being conned. It's not, it was never the solution and it's still not the solution. Could I have the Nutri-Blaster up there? This, this Nutri-Blaster thing, I've got one of these. It's not a blender. Don't juice it. Don't blend it. Extract it. This is not a blender. Have you seen the advertising for this? It's, it's all over the world. Actually, it's taken the world by storm. I like it, right? Only been using it for a, a, a little while. But what it does, these things will make you fat, <laughs> okay? What this does is it actually pulls the nutrients out of the fruit, out of the vegetables, and puts them straight into your system. Because toxins and other things, inflammation in our system, in our body, prevents the absorption of the nutrients we actually need. And then you feel hungry, even though you've just eaten, because your body's not getting what it needs. So, I mean, in terms of nutrition only, I've changed my whole habits, I've changed my diet, I've changed a lot. And it's working. It's working. It wasn't spiritual in the end, huh? The battle wasn't spiritual at all. It was me. I'm hyper-spiritual. I thought I could go to Asda and buy whatever I want, you know. I wasn't thinking straight. Well, I should have gone back to the Bible. I should have looked at Elijah because I felt a bit like Elijah. And obviously I needed to eat and I needed to sleep correctly, etc., etc. Now let me say, back to the hormones thing, the nutrition. Look at these things. These are from that doctor's video and uh, Stefan can give you that link if you want. But not just nutrition. If I don't have the nutrition in my body, my brain can't function right. My body can't function right. Nothing spiritual about it. But look at hormones, right? How many of you, don't answer this, how many of you fly off the handle? You just lose it for something stupid. You say someone's going to meet you in Starbucks at 1 o'clock. And 1 o'clock comes and you, you get a text message saying, I'm running a bit late. The next thing you're just going, what? What? You said 1 o'clock. Your, your, your reaction is extreme. What's causing it? Hormones. Your hormones can be out of control. Not just women. Women are famous for that. But it's men as well, right? Testosterone and estrogen. Simple little, I use this. It's a simple little thing like seaweed. It has iodine in it. And that's one of the best balancers of your hormones. The fact that you lose your temper, the fact that you embarrass yourself sometimes by your overreaction may not be spiritual. It may just be a simple little thing like a lack of iodine in your system. Simple little thing. Now, I use very little of this because I find it very powerful. I, I'll tell you the truth, folks. This is transformative. It's, it, it can also prevent gout, by the way. 
iodine absent in your system, and they reckon, I was reading some of the statistics, they reckon a huge percentage of America are deficient in iodine, which leads to crazy behavior, outbursts and aggression. And people, everything is not spiritual. Everything is not spiritual. I'm not all spiritual. I am mental, physical, and spiritual. Look at me. If I take a four-year-old child at eight o'clock at night and I give them two liters of Coke. Yeah, we know it for other people, folks. If you put, what are you going to get? You're going to get chaos. What you put into the vessel affects the behavior of the vessel. Amen. Amen. You are no different. It is the same for you. So we have to think again. I, would, I, I really like that. I don't like taking tablets. You can go and get iodine supplement, but this is, I think it's much better. But just a little bit is enough. In terms of gut function, oh, where do you want to begin? It's astonishing, guys. Is my stomach linked to my brain? <laughs> is my stomach, what's happening in my stomach and how does that affect my brain? Good Lord. God was right all along. <laughs> there are more neurotransmitters in your stomach than there are in your brain. There's more transmissions taking neurotransmitters in your gut, sending messages than there are in your brain. Amen. Amen. Especially if you've got a big belly. Now look at this, this excellent article. It says, think twice. How the gut's second brain is influencing your mood and your well-being. If I put the wrong thing in, like the Coke, it can send me a little bit crazy. That's from Scientific American. It's a magazine. There's another article. Your second brain. So there's, I, I'm just, my point is, friends, I want you to consider reinventing your food. I want you to go home, look at your fridge, look at your cupboards and think, how much of this is honoring? How much of this is helpful? And start to change things so that your body is getting what it deserves and what it needs for you to function mentally correctly. Amen. Amen. No. Amen. Amen. No more chips. I, I, I'll eat whatever I want, whenever I want, to some degree. If there's a party or whatever, I'm not held like that. That's Paul's point. Don't, don't be frightened. I'm not frightened of things. That's not where I'm coming from at all. That's also an overreaction. It's an overreaction if I become pernickety. and fu- That's not life. Relax and enjoy your life. But also, if I say it doesn't matter, that's an overreaction. Amen. Amen. So the ground is in the middle. The ground is where I accept the fact that food is important, 39 scriptures that warn me about it. And I'll, I'll say this, folks. If you are addicted to any type of food, right? Chocolate, famous addiction, okay? Simple. <laughs> Make up your mind that for about three weeks, because that's what it takes. Make up your mind for the next three weeks, I am not going to eat chocolate. For the first two or three days, what's going to happen? <laughs> chocolate, 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 chocolate. You're going to want chocolate. But it is a physical fact that every hour that goes by, chocolate loses its grip. And at the end of about three weeks or so, you can walk up to that chocolate and say, you know what? I could take it or leave it, to be honest with you. And then you have a choice whether you go back into that addiction type thing, right? You've been set free from it. In fact, I have many, many goals in my life, many charts at home that I run to for exercise, for diet. I got ahead of myself on many of them, not everything, but I was well ahead of myself. I think it was last Monday. I was very pleased with that. So I went to the supermarket. I got my basket and I said to myself, I can have anything I want. I can have anything I want. 
I'm ahead of my target. I can, I can have anything I want. And I went, instead of going to the organic fruit and veg, I actually went over to all the unhealthy stuff. And I stood there. This is what happened. This is exactly what happened. I stood there, and there was an argument in my head. There was, it was like a full-scale dis- discussion going on. I've been at this for eight months, nine months. My old self was saying, go on, get it. You've been eating that for years. And my new self was saying, but I don't want it. And there I was looking at food that I have loved all my life. But it's not particularly good for you. And I can honestly say, for the first time in my life, I voluntarily, I walked away. The spirit won. Because I dealt with the mind, the spirit won. Are you with me? Because I dealt with my thoughts and my practices in food, the spirit ended up winning. And that will lead me into greater health, greater mental stability, and thus greater effect in the spirit. Are you with me? Not all battles are spiritual. Rather, by the, the wisdom that the spirit gives us in scripture, we apply that to our flesh. Let me warn you, don't overreact to food. I can't stand that. You know, enjoy your life, enjoy your food. But don't underreact either. Deal with it properly. Secondly, exercise. Exercise is a huge thing. And my, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. Are we missing that in our lives? I, I, again, this is new to me, folks. I've only been properly exercising for about eight or nine months now. And the benefit, I hope you don't mind me saying this, Susan. But Susan gave a testimony last Sunday night. And one of the, do you remember one of the first things she said about coping? What do you do? Exercise. Exercise. Are you listening? The trans and myself and Gloria. Some people are going through tremendous traumas. Susan could have said pray. She could have said fast. She could have said many things. But one of the first things she said was exercise. My, oh, my, have I changed my opinion. Here's Elijah. And God didn't say pray. God actually went for a very practical route. I could not tell you how much exercise has changed my mentality. It has completely, and it's, it's just like the doctor said there. If you start to work on your physical self, what was the end result of Elijah taking what God gave him in food and drink? What was the end result? 40 days. He traveled for 40 days. And if you, but trust me, now I know it's difficult. I know it's very hard to start, but starting is the key. Start exercise. Start doing something. And don't let this temple, this great temple God has given you, become dilapidated and ruined for silly, stupid reasons. Next slide, please. Next one, please. Sorry, there's one with um, back one. Exercise. There you are. Look at this. Start small, but start. Don't go out of here and run a marathon because you'll probably have a heart attack, right? Don't do it. it takes, it's taken me eight months just to do anything effective, anything whatsoever. So don't overreact, but you do need to start and start small, right? Do something, but you will be, as I am, absolutely shocked with the physical and mental effect that will have on you. Set yourself achievable goals, right? Don't set unrealistic goals and tell others. <laughs> if you don't tell others, what will you do? Nothing. 
You'll do nothing. That's why I stood up here and I said I'm going to run a uh, marathon, right? Because once I've told you what's happened, I'm accountable now. So you set yourself a goal. Here's the mic. I can tell just by looking at you folks. Some of you are already wrote me off already, haven't you? I can tell. Where's my change thing now? Are we going to change? Some of them aren't. <laughs> you need to change, folks. Need to change, amen? We need to change. Something needs to change. It's not all spiritual. And when God was dealing with people's lives, he got right down to brass tacks here, folks. I would say to you, if you're going to start exercise, please take advice and take medical advice, particularly if that's in any way, shape, or form problematic to you. Be careful, because you can literally have a heart attack. But I, I, I no longer read things the way I used to read them. You know Exodus. Remember when the people were setting out on a long journey. Remember that? And they had to slaughter the lamb. Remember that? And God said to them, take a lamb, slaughter the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. Then he said this, listen to me. Tell the people to eat the lamb and to eat the, the bread without yeast. I've read that for years. I never understood it. Never understood what's happening. And he said, tell them to eat it because there's a long journey and it will give them strength for the journey. See, now because of the changes, now when I read that, do you know what I read? Tell the people they're going on a long run, so they need protein and carbohydrates. Oh, I see. They needed the protein in the lamb because they're, they need to replace their muscles because of the long walk. And they needed the carbohydrate in the bread. That's exactly what I do. Don't hyper-spiritualize things. Do you understand? God's very practical. Very, very practical. He told them it would give them strength for the journey. So don't be afraid of practical things. Next one, please. Sleep. Oh, not easy to sleep sometimes. When you have stresses, and I know many of you have, when you have stresses and strains and issues that can wear you out, losing sleep, is it going to make it better? Oh, there's nothing worse. You can, you can lie awake worrying about not sleeping. <laughs> oh, I'm not asleep. <laughs> Let me get to sleep. Right? Did Jesus care about these things? Does Jesus mention these things? Mark chapter 6. Look at this. Mark chapter 6 and verse 30. Look at what Jesus thinks about food and sleep and rest. And how important they are so we don't get hyper spiritual. Mark chapter 6 verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they didn't have a chance to eat. He said to them, see, he was concerned. He said to them, come away with me to a quiet place and get some rest. Would you think Jesus would say that? Look at me, folks. There's miracles happening. It's a fantastic time. Miracles. Do you want to see miracles? Do you want to see miracles? Wakey, wakey. There's miracles happening. The kingdom is moving. And, but the guys have not eaten yet, nor have they had sufficient rest. They're carried away. They're carried away with a moment. And in comes the Lord of glory, the Lord who gave them that body in the first place. And he doesn't say anything hyper-spiritual. He says, you're tired. And when you're tired, you're going to make bad decisions. When you're tired, you'll not be sensitive. You'll be irritable. 
Come aside with me, he says, and rest up a little while. You're going to need that rest. And he follows it with what? The miracle of the feeding of the... In other words, he was going to feed them anyway. Come aside and get something to eat and get some rest and then we will go back to battle. Are you with me? So don't be silly with these things. Don't hyper-spiritualize everything. Look after yourself and realize that Jesus saw problems coming up that they did not see. There's times to fast. Plenty of times to fast. We all do that, right? And we should do it. But there's times to keep a balanced diet because of the work that is at hand. Amen. Amen. God's health plan in terms of sleep. If you have problems sleeping sometimes, let's see your hand. I certainly do. That's about half. Okay. Just some very simple, practical points about sleeping, <laughs> right? Nothing, not rocket science. Don't take your phone to bed. How many people take their phone to bed? Come on, tell the truth, right? No phones, no iPads. Turn the media off. Do you know when you go to bed, the last thing you think about, the last thing that's on your mind is the thing that can keep you awake. It's the thing that can go round like a washing machine inside your head. So you have to police the run-up to sleep time. Amen. You have to govern it. Media should be really turned off, all media, around about two hours before bed, so you start to bring yourself down and detach in some ways from the world. No phones. Don't drink a bottle of Coke at 8 o'clock at night. (laughs) Look at your food intake. Don't be foolish to eat this and then complain about not sleeping. That's stupid behavior, isn't it? Yes, Pastor Mike, that is stupid behavior. So don't do that. If you've, got an exercise, if you've got an exercise regime, then put it into place before. That's exactly what I did last night. Because I'd been out all day. I was actually had a great day. But I deliberately went out and, and, and exercised a little bit at about 8 o'clock because I needed to go to bed early. And that burns off my excess energy. You with me? And then you're ready to sleep. You need to look at practicals. How's your bed? How's your pillow? How's the heating? How's your bed clothes, whatever. Get practical things organized. And then critically, critically, folks, how many of us have got people who are bugging us? How many of us have got people who are holding something against us? Forgiveness. Because when you lie down in bed and everything's quiet, boom, up comes that person in work. Up comes that relative. Up comes that pastor. Up comes that whatever. And you need to be able to have communion before you go to bed if you want. That's a great thing. But you need to be able to lie down at night and say, as far as it is possible with me, I have no bones with anybody. And when you can say that for yourself, I'm not holding grudges. I have tried to make peace. Correct, Lord? I have tried to make peace. Then when the other person doesn't want to make peace, it's not your It's not your problem anymore. Are you with me? You need to be able to lie down in bed at night and have total forgiveness with the whole wide world. Oh, yes, you do. Do not let the sun go down on your anger because you're not going to sleep. In fact, if you do try to go to sleep, it drives it down into your subconscious. And you you can end up waking up tired. You've just been to sleep and you're more tired than you were than you went to sleep. Are you with me? Because all night, that's a sign that you thought you were sleeping. But actually, 
your mind was troubled throughout the night. You didn't get proper sleep. Okay, REM type sleep, you know, deep sleep. So prayer, forgiveness. Uh, you know this saying, it's a very famous saying. But before you go to bed, before you lie down, you put your head on the pillow. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. They won't forgive me. They won't forgive me. This, it's not my problem anymore. I've done my part. Give me the serenity, the wisdom to accept the things I cannot change. If I can change them, I promise tomorrow I will do that. And the wisdom to know the difference. It's not my responsibility now. Amen? Amen. We need to see action, folks. I want to see change in your life. I want to see change happening. Do you? Hallelujah. (laughs) Just silly little things. Last slide, please. Or second last slide. It's ironic that whenever Elijah was in that terrible state, he's suicidal. And the very next thing that God brings him is Elisha, his first friend. Elijah's self-righteousness had made him say, I'm the only one. There's nobody else who cares. Remember? And God said, I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. It's not just you. What are you thinking about? Look, there's Elisha. He's a good guy, right? And God opened his eyes that he could actually have friends. That he wasn't so high and mighty. It was the prophets of Baal that did that to him. Because he had a great success, he thought he was the bee's knees. And then he collapsed and God came to him and said, Look, you're actually the same as everybody else, you know. It's just you don't realize it yet. Terrible. Don't have God to humble you. Humble yourself. Because if God humbles you, it cannot be a pleasant or pretty experience, guys. Humble yourself. Last Sunday night is probably one of the most significant Sunday nights that's ever been held in this church's history. Amen? It was outstanding, wasn't it? Honesty. Pride was destroyed. Friends. Some people for the first time, in fact, many people for the first time, being able to say, do you know what? Do you know what we're great at? Hands up. Hallelujah. Right? No problem with that. Praise the Lord. Let's do it. Do you know what we're terrible at? I've got a problem. Amen? We're great with the spirit stuff. And let's do it. Amen to it. But what we can be absolutely terrible at is the self-defacing, facade-crashing honesty that says, actually, could you help me? Pastor Everson was one of the first people to share last week. The man who says, does anybody want me to pray for them? Week after week, Friday after Friday, last Sunday night said, you pray for me. I need help as well. And you'll see in Scripture that it wasn't the God thing that was missing. Is everybody listening? Is everybody listening? Are you struggling? Don't answer. You feel depressed sometimes? Do you think God's lacking? I promise you he isn't. What's lacking? It wasn't a God thing. It was a human thing. It was a human thing. God didn't give Elijah more of God. 
He put him into a relationship with another human being. Your problem, Elijah, is not being so... I'm already here. I'm already in your life. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in you. But that alone was never the design of God. Amen. Amen. The design of God was that He would live in us and we would share what we call fellowship. Don't understand it, do we? But we just say the word. We would actually share fellowship with one another. And the book of James says to us, when you confess your sins, not just about sin, but when you combine with one another, you will be healed. Healed. Confess your sins to God? No, it's not what it says. Of course we do that. It's talking about healing, not forgiveness. Confess your sins to one another. Open up to one another. Confess your weaknesses to one another. And that leads to healing, wholeness within ourselves. And tonight we're going to continue. All of these guys, very significant people in Scripture, but I promise you, Moses can't be Moses without Jethro. Right? Joshua can't be Joshua without Caleb. David can't be David without Jonathan. And Paul certainly can't be Paul without Timothy. Paul said, there's no one in my life like Timothy. It sounds like a strange thing to say. And don't take me wrong when I say it. But often it's not more of God. It's not. It's less pride. And it's the human connection. It's being vulnerable with one another. Being open. Sharing with each other. And thus being healed. And as we share, you get blessed. (laughs) You get so blessed in, in sharing with one another. Tonight, I'm going to do a little bit different, a little bit more intense, okay? A little bit more invasive, but don't be afraid. Same rules apply. You come along. We will have a few songs because that was just beautiful this morning. Wonderful worship. Absolutely sensational. I think we should have some worship. Amen. Amen. Let's do some, some, you know, two, three songs and spend a little bit of time. And then I want to give some pointers to all of us and take us forward. Oh, Lord. God help us. God help us. Help us to change. Next slide, please. There's a war on. There's a war on. And you know when, a war, when World War II, for example, remember the recruiting sergeant? Your country needs you. When World War II came to this country, everybody was involved. Right? The young men were called up to do this. The older men were called up to do that. Situation was so bad, they even got the women involved. Amen. There's a war on, right? And my body, my soul, and my spirit, all three need to be ready for battle. Every part of me needs to be available and in tune with God. Can you say amen? amen? So whatever I have lacked in the past, it needs to stop, and I need to go and do it. Last slide. Definitely the last slide. I like that. Isn't that great? Everywhere you go, you see, just do it. I saw that actually graffitied on a wall up in Sight Hill. (laughs) Just done it. And with the things we're talking about this morning, I do not want, if I go to London or whatever, I don't want to come back here in six months' time and you look exactly like you do today. I want you to change. Do you want to change? Well, then, do you agree that food is more important than you thought 45 minutes ago. 
And it's Jesus who tells us that, not me. It's scriptural. Anything that's scriptural, I will obey. But don't get obsessed with it, because that's just a pain in the neck. Do you believe that exercise can affect your mind? It absolutely. Take it from Susan. Take it from me. Two people in crisis. Nothing. That's the number one. For me, it's the number one thing. Something dynamic happens within you when you start to, to get with your body and pull your body into shape. It's fantastic. Don't be a couch Christian, a couch potato, right? You don't know what you're missing, honestly. Go for it. If your sleep pattern is disturbed, everything is disturbed. Everything is disturbed. Be radical. Be as radical as you need to be, but you need to get to sleep. And do whatever you need to do. Make whatever phone calls you need to make. You do your part, and then you can rest. You can just simply rest because the thing is over, and you can claim that sleep from God, right? God gives sleep to the righteous. He gives sleep to those he loves, Scripture says. Right? And we can claim those promises. Just do it. <laughs> right? Go out of this place and make a serious, heartfelt readiness to change my future through ways that I haven't tried before. Hallelujah.